0: Amen. Well, good morning. Glad to see all y'all here. Uh, hope I can live up to that uh, wonderful music service we just had, y'all. Uh, David, that touched me. That whole service. That uh, blessed assurance. That's that's one of my favorite songs in the church. The message in that song is so true, and uh, it's just a wonderful story for us this morning to know that Jesus is ours because He is our story, and. Uh, It's just a blessing to get to stand up here this morning. It's uh, always a privilege to get to stand in the pulpit of a wonderful preacher like Brother John, a man that I've called a a mentor, but mostly a friend And the church. We have a wonderful, wonderful pastor, a wonderful man of God leading our church. And uh, we are certainly blessed to have him. Uh, I want to just kind of jump right in tonight. Has anybody here ever had the wonderful privilege and honor and experience and all out... Wonderful time of getting pulled over by a police officer. Can you just raise your hand? Some of y'all, I think some of y'all are lying. Did you go have an invitation, let y'all come pray. I'm 22 years old. I've been driving for about six years, and I've been pulled over five times in my life. Now, some of y'all are wondering, who in the world did we hire? <laughs> but listen, I've never gotten a ticket all of those five times because I call it divine intervention, but... Uh, I've always gotten out of those tickets some way. Um, I want to share with y'all two of these instances. And one of these I deserved to be pulled over. Another one I completely didn't. The first one is I got deserved to pull over. Um, this was back when I was still ministering music at a church on the other side of Anniston. And our Sunday school started at 9 o'clock. Our services started at 10. And I didn't leave the house until 9.30. I was running late that morning. I, just, I was behind. And I was going up Quintard flying about 60 miles an hour. Now, those of y'all that know Quintard, you know, you go right there past Red Lobster, go over those bridges. You know that old food world used to sit right there? There was a cop sitting there. I'm clocking I'm about 65 going through there. And this cop whips out and gets me. And he comes up to me, gives me the whole spill. You know, you know why I pulled you over? You know, I need your license, your registration, all that junk. So I give it to him, and he said, uh, he asked me, he said, where are you headed? And this question just, like, perplexed me because he asked me where I'm headed On a Sunday morning, I'm wearing a suit and tie like I'm dressed right now. They're like, where do you think I'm headed? But I told him where I was, told him, you know, I was ministering music at a church up the road here. I told him I was running late. Our service started in 30 minutes. And and, uh, he was like, okay. And I was listening to some music. I was listening to an album by Michael W. Smith, an album he has called Worship. And I always like to listen to it on Sunday mornings, kind of get me in the the spirit of worship. And uh, he heard that. He said, what are you listening to? And I told him what it was. He said, I'll make you a deal. He said, I'll let you go as long as you promise to slow down a little bit as long as you promise to make sure you'll have a good service at church. I was like, you got it. Uh, Just let me go. So I got to church on time. Service went great and everything. Now, this other time, I didn't deserve it at all. I was going to uh, Jacksonville to a class I had, and it was about 11 o'clock, I guess. And I was going through Windlock. I just got through Windlock, and I was passing the fourth there on the right those of y'all that know that area, the speed limit jumps to 65 right there. It goes from like 55 to 65, somewhere right in there. Well, I get past the fort, and I hit the 65 zone, and I'm going about 60. This cop pulls me over. One of Weaver's finest pulls me over. And he comes up, and he says, you know, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, no, sir, I really don't. I mean, I'm I'm sitting there like, you know, why why is he pulling me? I wasn't doing anything wrong. He's like, well, you were speeding. I was like, no, I wasn't. I was being polite, of course, but... I was like, I don't think I was. And he said, Well, you were going, uh, it's fifty five and you were going a little over sixty miles an hour. And I said, Sir, so the speed limit's sixty five. And he said, No, it's not. I was like, Yeah, it is. I said, I just passed the sign. So he went back and got in his car. I guess he looked at his computer or something in there, he can look at all that stuff. Needless to say, the speed limit was sixty five miles an hour. And he come back and he like he kinda of stood there for a second He said, like, I don't know how to tell you this. The speed limit's sixty five miles an hour. And I was like, You think? But, yeah, I got out of that ticket, too. I didn't deserve to be pulled over for that one, though, and that kind of, I've had a really bad experience with cops in my life, not in a bad way, but with these getting pulled over and stuff. But I haven't been pulled over in about a year or two, and uh, that's mainly because my dad told me if I kept getting pulled over, he was going to take me off his insurance. So I had to kind of watch what I was doing. But the reason why I opened up with that is, you know, when you get pulled over and you get a ticket, you know, if you decide you don't want to pay that ticket, you have to go to court, you have to try to get the ticket overturned, all that stuff. I've never had that pleasant experience, but, you know, that's, that's kind of the custom. That's what you go do. And while you're there, you know, either your fine gets dropped or you end up having to pay the ticket. And you commonly get what we call a verdict. And, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, to you know, what is a verdict? Well, the dictionary defines the word verdict as a decision or a disputed issue in a civil or criminal case or an inquest. Verdicts are commonly delivered in courtrooms. In major cases, such as murder and trafficking, uh, a jury will deliver the verdict. But in smaller cases, such as traffic violations, the judge will deliver the verdict. Um, everyone always hopes to have that same verdict of not guilty. No matter what your case is, you hope to be not guilty. So I kind of want to read this morning to what Paul wrote to the Romans about judgment, about what it means to judge people, about, you know, these judges and things of that sort. So if you have your copy of God's Word, if you would turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 14. And I'll be in Romans 14.10. And this is, one of the, this is one of my favorite letters of Paul, the book of Romans. It's just such a, a beautiful, beautiful book to me. Um, I've read it four or five times and just always get something out of it every time that I read it. So if you found your place in Romans 14, if you would stand with me as we honor the reverence and reading of God's word. In verse 10, like Brother John, I preach out of an ESV version, so you just follow along in your version, whatever you have. In verse 10, Paul writes, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for this time to be together. Father, we thank you for this privilege we have to come together as believers and worship you this morning, Father. I ask that you just bless the reading of your word, Father, that you would just help me, just speak through me, use me as a vessel, Father. Let nothing be said through me, let nothing that I say get the glory, Father, but you get the glory for everything that is done here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Y'all be seated. So, in what we just read, we see where Paul writes to the Roman church about passing judgment on one another. But this is not the earthly judgment that we see in our courtrooms. Paul's talking about a different type of judgment. Um You know, our courtrooms in our world, they're necessary. They're necessary to keep order, you know, and peace and, you know, to keep things in line in the world. But this is a different judgment. The judgment that Paul is referring to is that of a spiritual judgment, um, judging our spirits. He says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Church, there's no judge or judgment on this earth. There's not Judge Judy, not Judge Mathis, I don't care who you got. There's no judge or judgment on this earth greater than the judge and the judgment we'll see when this life is over, church. There isn't one. You know, when this world is over and Christ comes back to take all of us redeemed home, you know, there will be judgment. There will be a, a time of judgment for what we've done in this life. And I believe that when Christ comes back, I believe there will be three judged on that day. There'll be the judgment of the sinner, the one who does not believe, the one who's refused to acknowledge God. Then there'll be the judgment of the believer, the one who has, you know, given their life to Christ and, you know, they've, they've promised a, a life for him. Then there'll be the judgment of the servant the one who's let everything they do in their life, you know, be for the glory of God. They followed God with everything they have. So first I'd like to look at the sinner. In the book of Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27, it says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment church, we're all sinners. We will all die. However, this is the judgment for the sinner that does not believe the one that refuses to acknowledge God. This is what the book of revelation describes as the great white throne of judgment. Um, Unfortunately, this will be the judgment of the majority of people on earth. The way the world's headed right now, this will be the majority of of the earth's people. This is a a ridiculous fact. This this, this is just astounding. There are 7 billion people in the world today, but only 2.2 billion worship the same God that we worship. 2.2, that's it. At least 4.8 billion people that worship either a false god or no God at all. Say, church, there's only one God. There's only one God. Can I get an Amen, Church? There we go. There's only one God in this world, church. There's only one God. You know, there's no Allah, there's no sacred cows of the Hindus, there's no Buddha, there's none of that stuff. There's only one God because He's the only one that will deliver us, church. He's the only one that's always there that He's the only He's the only God. Um, this judgment of the sinner, I feel like it'll be the quickest judgment. You know, this is this is very simple. Uh, these non-believers will stand before God. You know, God will look through the, the Lamb's book of life. And their name will not be written down. And if your name's not in that book of life, I mean, that's just an automatic, you know, you're out. You know, God will say, you know, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Then they'll be cast right into hell. You know, that sounds pretty blunt. Um, there's no softening that up. Um, there's no sweetening it. It's, it's very straightforward. But our job is the body of Christ. Is to make sure that as few people reach this judgment as possible. That's our goal as a church. Um, you know, a lot may wonder, well, what about those who have never heard the gospel? What about the ones in those countries that missionaries haven't gotten to? What happens to them? Well, you know, I believe that God will let every single person that he knows will turn from their sin when they hear the gospel. I believe that he will let every single one of those people hear the gospel at some point in their life and give them that chance to repent. I believe that he will tarry his coming until every single person that he knows will turn from their wicked ways hears the gospel. Um, You know, this is where we as a church come in. It's our job as Christians to make sure that as many of these people hear the gospel as we can. You know, some may say being a missionary is not something that I can do. You know, I can't go to China or Africa or one of these faraway places. Church, you don't have to go overseas to be a missionary. You don't have to leave our state. You don't have to leave our city. I can almost guarantee if you walk out those doors back there and you walk a mile in either direction, you're probably going to come across more lost people than you do saved people. That's just the sadness of the world. That's That's what the world is, church. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, it says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. I think what that's saying there is, you know, Live your life the way you want to live it. Keep going through that sin. Keep, you know, living your life thinking you don't need God. Doing things the way you want to do in the way you think that it's going to be good for you. But when you get to the end of this life, God's going to hold you accountable for all of that. He's going to judge you for all of that. Don't live your life the way that you want to live. Live the way that Christ wants you to live. In Second Peter, Paul writes, For God did not spare angels when they, sh- when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. To be kept until judgment. Even the angels, probably after God and Christ, the most perfect beings, you know, even they sinned. Even they were sinners. And God didn't just kind of let their sins go by, he punished them for their sins as well when they committed sins. Uh, In Hebrews 10, chapter 26, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That means like if you keep on sinning when you know you shouldn't be sinning, if you keep walking away from God, even after he's repeatedly called you to him, you know, when you get to heaven, you know, God will say, you know, I gave you chance and chance and chance and chance and chance to hear the gospel, chance to turn from your ways. You know, like, okay, God, I mean, I get it now. This is all real. You know, I'll turn from my ways now. It'll be too late then. It's too late to turn from your sin once your life's over, especially when God's giving you opportunity after opportunity to turn to Christ. But there won't just be the judgment of the sinner. There will also be the judgment of the believers. Now, this is where it gets a little interesting. Even as believers, we will still stand before God just as the sinners. But we won't be judged in the same way as the non-believers are. Um, in John chapter 5, uh, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. This is Jesus Christ talking. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Now, I know we're all Baptist in here, but that shouldn't make every single one everybody in here turn Pentecostal and start shouting glory and running up and down the aisles and stuff. Let me read that again. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Church, that's, <laughs> that's probably the greatest verse in Scripture right there. Well, wow, that gives so much hope to us that are believers, church. Earlier in this book of Romans, Paul writes, you know, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in who? Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those that are in Christ, church. What is Condemnation. It's a strong disapproval. It's a strong, you know, dislike. Um, There is no condemnation for us that are Christians, for us that are believers. Yeah, God's going to bring our sins back up to us. He's going to remind us of the things we did. But he's not going to have any more hate for us. He's not going to have any disapproval, dislike. He's not going to have any love lost for us just because of those sins we have committed. In Galatians chapter 2, in verse number 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. That should be the testimony of every believer in here, every child of God. That should be your testimony this morning. You've been crucified with a cross. So your sin was nailed to a cross. It was nailed to the cross, and it was put on Jesus. And see, when Christ was put in that tomb, and he raised on that third day, all that sin, all the sins you've ever committed, all the ones that you will commit, they vanished. Even the sin you're going to commit this afternoon, it's, it's already paid for. It's already gone. It's taken care of. Church, that should be the testimony of everybody here. But it's not just enough to be a believer. It's being, being in this life, is not just about saying a prayer. You know, saying that prayer when you know you're however many years old, and you're know, saying, God, you know, forgive me of my sin. I choose to follow you. That's, that's not what life's about. That is the most important step you'll take. But it means more to be a servant there will be the judgment of the servant of God. These servants won't be judged on whether they believe God or not, but they'll be judged on what they have done for the kingdom of God after they've become a Christian. All the works that you have done for God. You know, we see that we've been studying the Sunday school, you know, it's not by our works, but it's by faith. Yes, but once you once you have that faith and you're saved by Christ, then you, then those works come into play to do those works to Christ, to give back to Him what He's given to you. You know, there's a lot of um, preachers. I call them motivational speakers, um, like Joe Osteen, ones like that. That you know, try to skip these, that first part and skip straight to this part. They try to skip all the bad stuff and come straight to the good stuff. Church, there's no such thing as a prosperity gospel. There, there is no such thing. That is all just a bunch of gibberish. Um, I do believe that being judged as a servant is the most important part of judgment. Um, but first, you must believe. You must. You must have Christ in your life to be a servant for Christ. Um, our works do not get us into heaven; it's our faith in Jesus Christ. But our works will enhance the crowns and the rewards that we get when we get in heaven, so we can give them back to Jesus Christ. In Second Corinthians uh, chapter five, Paul says, "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil." whether good or evil. You know, we don't have to go through the same judgment that the sinners go through, but God still will bring our sins back up to us, the ones, that, the things we have done. Um, you know, we don't have to worry about that condemnation or, you know, being thrown into hell. We don't worry about that, but we will still be held accountable for our sin. God will still remind us of those things that, you know, we did after we become a Christian All those things that we did that he repeatedly told us not to do. He will remind us of that. Um, You know, a lot of people, you know, think when they get saved, they can just go and do whatever they want to do. and go back to living their life the way they do, the way they were living it before. You know, a lot of people call it their fire insurance. You know, it's not just fire insurance. That's not what salvation is. It's not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. Salvation is so much more. Once Jesus saves us by his power and not ours... We are to strive to be like Him. We should push ourselves towards Christ, not use Him as a crutch, not just use Him as you know something we can lean on. When we need to, when we need a little bit of support. We should push ourselves. He, we should, He should be our goal. We should desire to be like Christ every day. In the Book of Revelation, chapter twenty-two, it says, "Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done." You see. Christ is coming back one day. Is this thing working. Christ is coming back one day, church. And when He comes back, He's going to give us back everything that we've given to Him, and then He's going to give us a little bit more. He's going to repay. He's already He's already sacrificed everything for us, but then He's going to sacrifice even more. That shows you the love of Christ right there. He's going to repay all of us for what we have done. In Colossians chapter three, it says, "Knowing that from the Lord." you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. Like I said earlier, you know, God's going to bring those sins back up to us. He's not going to do that, you know, to make us feel bad or to kind of make us get all gloomy on ourselves. But he's going to remind us of the things that we did. You know, we were doing this sin when we could have been serving him some more. He's going to remind us of that. He's not going to have any more dislike or love loss for us but He will hold us accountable for the things we have done in this life. I've got a pastor friend of mine who is, my he's my dearest friend, and something that I heard him say one time is, you know, he hopes when he gets to heaven that, you know, when he gets his crowns of all the things he's done for Christ, all the things he's done for the Lord, all those crowns that he gets, he said he hopes he has to fight to climb a mountain to be able to put his crown on top for Christ. have to climb that mountain of crowns just to get the, get a glimpse of what Jesus is, to give back to him. You know, a lot of people worry about their sins being brought back up in heaven. And um, they worry about, you know, well, I don't really, I haven't been much of a servant, so you know, I don't really want God to bring all that sin back up to me. Everyone's excited to hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But they don't want to hear God say, well, and you also did this and this and this and this and this. They don't want to hear that. Church's flesh, we fail. That's just the way we are. We're going to mess up. Um, you know, we won't live sinless lives from the day we are saved to the day we go home to heaven. I'm a, I'm a living testimony of that, church. But we shouldn't beat ourselves up about being human, about being the way that God made us. Um, I believe that, you know, if we never messed up in life, if things were always perfect, we always had the answer to everything for ourselves, then we would never turn to God and ask him for help. And we would forget about how good God is. We would forget about His goodness and His mercy and His grace. Um, we wouldn't, you know, be concerned with, you know, seeking help from Him. We'd almost forget about Him. I believe that's why God lets us, He lets us fail. That way we can turn back to Him and seek Him for help. Let me wrap up with this piece of Scripture. This is what Paul said in First Corinthians to the church at Corinth. He said, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. And stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his condemnation from God. See, there may be things in your life, those sins, even those things you're doing for the Lord that you don't want anybody to know about, but God already knows them. Now, Paul just said right there that, you know, let me go back and find it real quick. It says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. God knows all of it. There's nothing you're hiding from Him. You can hide it from the church all you want to, but you ain't hiding nothing from God. He knows. He knows, church. It's not our place to judge ourselves or anybody else. There's only one judge, and His name is God. But the question is, will you be judged as a sinner or as a servant? Church, that's that's, that's the hard question of life right there. The sinner or the servant? Which one are you going to be, church? Let me close with this story. And uh, this is a story that kind of hit me kind of hard when I read this just because of some personal things. Um, this is a story written by a man by the name of Dale Parks. in an article. There was a man that passed away about getting close to a year ago now that the world viewed as a, an American hero, a guy who lived the American dream and someone who, you know, strived to, you know, do everything they wanted to achieve in life. And people viewed this man as an idol in ways. And you'll soon figure out who this man is when I start reading It says, the world mourns for a man who made millions, reducing the public status of women. A man who invented the industry of female objectification, a man who stands behind the pornography industry pocketing cash at the expense of families, marriages, and homes. This is who we're celebrating? It was this man who labored to convince your daughters and your nieces and your sisters that their value was not in their moral character but consisted of their sexual availability and attractiveness towards men. Hugh M. Hefner was not a good man. He was a man who built an empire on exactly what God condemns. The only tragedy about this man's death is that he did, didn't live for Christ. God desires that all would repent and come to know him. This is truly a sad day for Hef. Not because of his death, but because of his eternity. Church, you know, As you heard me say, this is a man by the name of Hugh Hefner, an American idol to some people. And this man built an empire, like it said, on exactly something that God condemns. And now, people mourn the death of this man. While it's sad that any life has to leave, it, it's a sad thing, it's a sad day. But the sad thing is that this man didn't live for Christ. You know, you may say, you know, well, how do you know he wasn't a Christian? How do you know? I don't know. But at the same time, if this man was truly for Christ, he wouldn't have kept doing the things that he was doing. He wouldn't have kept, you know, living the life that he lived. And it's truly a sad day because we don't know about his eternity. You don't know. And church, that's what I want to ask you this morning. Is, do you know what your eternity is? Do you know? Say, church, there's... Like I said, there's the judgment of the sinner and the judgment of the believer and the judgment of the servant. Now, maybe there's somebody here this morning that's lost. And, you know, with this many people here, I believe there is. I believe there's someone here that's lost this morning that needs Christ in their life. You don't have to go to that judgment of that sinner. You don't have to go through that pain of death, that eternal fire church. There's a way out, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he wants you to come to him. All you have to do is accept him. Maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you're a saved person. You know, you've been saved for 15, 20-plus years. But you haven't been living the life of a servant. You haven't lived your life giving everything you have to God every second of every day, giving everything that you can back to God just to repay him for what he's done for you. Church, today's the day to get that right and ask God to give you that servant's heart. To come to you, to come to him. Ask him to set you on fire for him, that you would seek after him with everything you do. So church, that's my invitation this morning. So as we pray and we sing a hymn of invitation, church, I'm going to ask if you would just respond however God is calling you, church. No matter what it is, church, there's no one here that's going to say anything to you about you know, having to come to the altar that's what it offers for, church, so that we can pray with each other. We can lift each other up. There's no one here that will bash you for anything you have. That's not what the church is. It's a loving family church. And we're here for you as we pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time, Father. We thank you for the reading of your word, God. I just, I just pray for every person in here, God, that you would just bless every person, Father. Give everybody here a a sense of Your direction, Father. You know, clear the room of all these distractions, Father. Just make the devil flee from this place, God. Get him out of here, Father. We don't don't need him in here, Father. I ask that You just work among Your church, Father. Work among Your people. Father, I pray for that lost person that might be in here, God. I pray that You would just give them a, a spirit of conviction right now, Father. And You would just make them realize that They can't go on living this life without you, God. That they need you. They need to come to you, Father, and let you take away their sin. That crimson flow that washes everything white as snow. Such a sweet, sweet spirit, Father. Such a sweet name, the name of Jesus Christ, that can do that. Father, I pray for the saved person here that has been living that life. You know, Father, they're a Christian. They've come to know you. They've chosen to give their life to you, to follow you, Father. But they haven't been living as that servant, God. They haven't been letting everything they do be for your glory, God. Father, I pray for that person this morning. Father, I pray that you would just move their heart right now, Father. Just help them to know that they need to get back on track, Father. They would just come to this altar and say, God, I need you to help me, Father. I need you to help me to have a heart for you to send me seek after you, Father. And Father, I just I thank you again. Everybody here, Father, I thank you for just being here among us, God. As we sing this hymn, Father, I ask you to just bless it in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?